This is Jehovah's Witness beliefs. One day when judgment comes, your survival is going to depend on following the instructions of these eight guys in New York. Like your literal earthly survival will depend on it. Judgment will come and you have to be ready at the drop of a hat to just go do whatever they say. All right, group number two, I've spent many, many hours dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, individually, from the time I was like a teenager and they're witnessing to me and I even struck up kind of a friendship with the JW as he was coming back to my house, like not even when he was officially out witnessing <laughs> in his street clothes, even, you know, um, to even producing lots of video content, many hours of content. But let me just do this like quick drink from the fire hydrant, drive by just shooting of information about Jehovah's Witnesses. That's probably a horrible analogy to use. But um, their attitude towards Jesus, we'll start with that. Jehovah's Witnesses are taught that Jesus is not God right, from all eternity, who's God with us, like the Mormons, they think that he's a created being, but a different being than the Mormons would say. They think that Jesus is Michael the archangel. So when the Bible talks about Michael, that is Jesus. And now there are some Christians who, real Christians who legitimately, they, they think that Jesus is Michael the archangel, but they don't think he's just Michael. They think Michael is like a Christophany, okay? And I disagree with that theology. I think it's, I think it's incorrect personally. But it doesn't deny the deity of Christ the way Jehovah's Witnesses do. They actually teach that Jesus is a created being. He didn't always exist. He was created by God, and he was the first created being, and then everything else was made through him in some fashion. They also would teach, say, that Jesus died on, the, on not a cross, but on a torture stake, and that's how their translation puts it, and that he was not bodily resurrected. Did you hear that? Jesus was not bodily resurrected. That's really key. So Jesus isn't God. He's a creative being. He's Michael the archangel uh, who became a man. And there's just tons in scripture that talks about this. Hebrews 1 totally refutes the idea that Jesus is an angelic being. Colossians 1, it says that everything was made through Jesus. Everything. Not just some things, but everything was made through Jesus, which would mean he couldn't, he wasn't made, right? Because everything that was made was made through him. In John 1, it says everything, again, everything that was made was made through him. And apart from him, nothing was made that was made, which is a pretty strong case for Jesus is not the first created being, which is why in the Jehovah's Witness New World Translation, which here I got, I have like five versions of it, but here's one of them. <laughs> and in their own version of the Bible, they changed the Bible in exactly the places that teach the truth about the deity of Christ and him as creator. They literally have made a, a bad, and it's universally known as scholars, they know this is not a good translation, um, but, but they've made this translation to try to support their theology. So they think Michael became Jesus. Um, and one of the verses, I'll give you an example for you guys might be interested. One of the verses they'll quote for this is 1 Thessalonians 4.16. This is a passage of scripture that talks about the, the, the return of Christ, the second coming. And it says, the Lord himself, Jesus, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. They say, well, it's speaking of Jesus. I agree. And they say, well, if Jesus comes with the voice of an archangel, as 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, then he must be an archangel. Um, there are a few problems with this. Uh, one of them is that if Jesus is Michael the archangel and he's a unique being, which Jehovah's Witnesses would teach, why is it just the voice of an archangel, like he's one of many, if he's the if he's supposed to be singular? But also, it also says he comes not just with the voice of an archangel, but the scripture says he comes with the sound of a trumpet in the very next phrase of that sentence. Does that make Jesus a trumpet? 
No, <laughs> but by by their logic, Jesus have to be, he's archangel, he's also a giant trumpet. And that doesn't make any sense. Um, then, of course, there's the clear teachings that Jesus is not an angel in Hebrews 1 and in the other places in scripture where he is the creator of all. They say Jesus did not rise bodily. Instead, you might ask, well, what happened to the body of Jesus? Well, in Jehovah's Witness teaching, the body of Jesus, it went into the tomb and then dissolved. And that's why the tomb was empty. They went to find it and God had like disintegrated the body of Jesus. Then when Jesus was resurrected, he was resurrected with a spirit body. It's difficult to ask people to explain what a spirit body is. This is similar to Mormonism, though. They do have a something called a spirit body, but they won't define it very well. So it's a little tough to talk about. But in studies in the scriptures, <clears throat> this is a Jehovah's Witness source. In volume five, page 454 of studies in the scriptures, they say the man Jesus is dead, forever dead. You cannot consider yourself Christian if you can make a statement like that. That's a denial of the central belief in the resurrection of Christ. First Corinthians 15 talks about that. The Gospels even show that Jesus, he, this is kind of cool. It, it's like God knows every false religious way of twisting Christianity, and he put in the scriptures all the refutations we would ever need. So in the Gospels, when Jesus appears to Thomas, he specifically tells him, look, it's I, flesh and blood. And then he says, touch your hand and put it in the nail marks in my hand and in my side. What Jesus calls those marks is the nail marks, meaning that the body that was on the cross that got nailed, these are the marks from that body, which means scripture's teaching us Jesus rose with the same body that he died with. That's pretty significant. Um, however, they would say, and this is on jw.org, I'm going to quote them here. Jesus was resurrected with a spirit body, so he comes as a spirit creature, not in the flesh. And that would direct contradiction with scripture and essential Christian truth. There's other things about Jesus they would teach. Um, for instance, we, we look forward to the second coming of Christ. They teach that Jesus already did show up. His coming already came and he had an invisible return in 1914. Now, historically, the, the reason they got to this is interesting. They were predicting this sort of like Armageddon to happen in 1914, um, you know, the end of the world. It didn't happen. So then they kind of backtracked and said, well, Jesus returned invisibly. So his rule on earth began, but it's invisible. And it's really now he's ruling from the Watchtower organization secretly. Matthew 24, Jesus specifically warns, if anybody tells you that the Christ has returned and he's in some secret room, don't believe them because every eye will see him, everyone. So again, scripture was refuting Jehovah's Witness teaching before it had been invented. It's, it's kind of amazing, when you, the foreknowledge of God there. Let's talk about salvation though. Um, so Jehovah's Witness teaching about salvation, the things that these people are taught, and I and my heart goes out to Jehovah's Witnesses, I care for them, but I, I, I hate the things they're taught because they're not true. There are four requirements for salvation, and it's not just Jesus. Let me give you a quote. This is from Studies in the Scriptures. This is an authoritative source for them, page 150, volume 1. The ransom for all given by the man Christ Jesus does not give or guarantee everlasting life or blessing to any man. See, Jesus is not enough. This is a really important teaching for them. So there's four requirements. You have to, number one, take in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ. But what they mean is the knowledge that Jesus is a created being whose body dissolved in the grave, who did not physically rise. That's the false. So you have to take in a false Christ as part of their salvation rules. Number two, you have to obey God's laws, which means you have works. You have to perform to earn your salvation. This is when you reach out to Jehovah's Witnesses, you can realize they're laboring under a work system and the freedom and the peace and the, the salve for our weary souls comes through realizing 
the gospel of grace. And that, that's the number one thing we want to present to them. Number three, you have to belong to Jehovah's Witnesses organ, organization. You have to become a JW. If you're not officially part of the JWs, you don't have salvation. Now imagine if you're, so I'm part of Calvary Chapel churches. Imagine if I was teaching, guys, if you're not part of Calvary Chapel, you're going to hell. <laughs> that alone is enough of a red flag to know that you don't want to be part of Calvary Chapel at that point. Um, yeah, you have to actually belong to their organization. And they use various scriptures to try to support this, but they're all radically out of context. So um, number four, I'll give you number four now, loyalty. Loyalty is required. Now, loyalty is a pretty generic thing to say. You got to be loyal. But what they mean and where they measure loyalty, one of the number one ways they measure it is that you're promoting the JW organization by going door to door or in some way giving out magazines and JW material. This is why Jehovah's Witnesses are going door to door. It's part of the salvation deal for them. You're required to go at least an hour a month to be considered an active publisher. And if you're not an active publisher, if you're an inactive publisher, you're in danger that when Armageddon comes around the corner, you may, you may suffer as a result. You might be outside. So this, this is um, very much a workspace thing very much a workspace thing. And you can kind of see this when you see them go door to door. And in my neighborhood, I noticed this, where they would, um, everywhere I've lived, I've noticed this, that Jehovah's Witnesses would often walk really slow door to door. And I always thought that was so weird because I've witnessed, I've gone witnessing door to door. I've got tracks and I'm thinking I got two hours, right? And I I hit like probably 20 times as many houses as they do because they I'm in a hurry. Hour. Hour. Huh? They got to get through that hour. Yeah. And and I and so when I actually interviewed some former JWs, they told me that this was this wasn't just my observation, this was like a well-known fact. And they call it the pioneer plod. <laughs> That's like the nickname they have for it, because they're considered pioneers going out. And they call it the pioneer plod, where you just like walk real nice and slow. So you don't have to because it's uncomfortable to encounter people on their door. And 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 the JWs get all kinds of mistreatment and rude behavior from people um, that is wrong. And I understand why they would have a hard time with it. All right, let's talk about authority. That's salvation. Mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witness beliefs about authority. They say the Bible's their authority, but there's a big problem, and that is that they have a butchered Bible translation, and they become conspiratorial that all other Bible translations are not trustworthy. So when you show them a verse that refutes their theology, the immediate thought is, oh, but that's been changed, because they trust the organization. They instead of having the Bible ultimately as their authority, the real authority is what's called the governing body. And what you have to understand about the Jehovah's Witnesses, it's not just a name given to people who have shared beliefs, but rather it's actually a governmental group. And they're run by the governing body, which is eight men who live in New York City. They, they to quote them, they formulate doctrine, they oversee publishing, and they send out these two magazines. You've seen them on your doorstep, the Watchtower and the Awake magazine. And one day, this is Jehovah's Witness beliefs, one day when judgment comes, your survival is going to depend on following the instructions of these eight guys in New York. Like your literal earthly survival will depend on it. Judgment will come and you have to be ready at the drop of a hat to just go do whatever they say. Let me quote some sources on this because I want people to know this is this is not me making, I'm not trying to rip on JWs. I wish the theology was better than this, right? So from Watchtower 2013, July 15th, page 20. The faithful slave, and that's a nickname they have for their own organization, and they're really referring to the, to the eight men in New York. The faithful slave is the channel through which Jesus is feeding his true followers in this time of the end. 
It is vital that we recognize the faithful slave. Our spiritual health and our relationship with God depend on this channel. Obedience to these men determines your salvation. Then we have um, from JW.org on the 10th of November, 2012, which says the faithful and discreet slave was appointed over Jesus's domestics in 1919. That means the church. The slave is the small composite group of anointed brothers serving at world headquarters. That's eight guys in New York during Christ's presence. That's because they believe Jesus is invisibly present somehow with them who are directly involved in preparing and dispensing spiritual food. When this group work together as the governing body, they act as the faithful and discreet slave. Now this has been an evolution over time. Originally the faithful and discreet slave was all the Jehovah's witnesses. Then it became the leadership just the general leadership organization, then it became the eight guys, which is why in 2012, it's eight guys in New York. You go back 60 years, it's more of a group thing. So they've um, slowly amassed more power and control over time. Let me give you a couple other things. Um, miscellaneous other stuff. This, organ this organization, this religion's only existed since about the 1870s. That was when it was first founded. So it's pretty new, kind of like LDS church. It's actually not just a religious belief. It's an insulated, and this is key, it's an insulated social community. This is the biggest thing with dealing with JWs is realizing they're part of an insulated social community. They're told never Google Jehovah's Witnesses. They're told this from their leaders. Don't ever Google our group. That's, I mean, from our perspective, oh, you think, well, that's creepy, but I want you to understand the suspicion this creates because they're going to look at you guys as you try to witness to them with all this suspicion. I've, I've got JWs telling me on my videos, Mike, you're, you're an apostate. I'm sure you're a secretly an apostate JW. And so I, so I can just ignore you and not listen to you. And, and you're, you're a liar. Um, but that's, it's not that they're trying to be mean. It's that they've been, paranoia has been created in them towards everybody. So here's some conspiratorial things that they're being told. Um, if you do have to research, only use JW.org, right? Or other watchtower websites for research. That's, I mean, that's not really research, right? Research, which means always check our source, what we say. That's your research. <laughs> that's not really research. Um, they're, they believe that all Christianity has been apostate since the second century. They believe that the Bible has been, been butchered and that they've fixed it with their new world translation. All other translations are suspect. They believe the Holy Spirit is God's active force. He's impersonal. That's just a random thing. They believe the Trinity is pagan. They believe that you need to call God Jehovah or else. They believe that birthday celebrations are pagan. Military service is pagan. Christmas is pagan. Easter is pagan. You all are pagan. And that's why we can't trust you. So it creates this insulated social community. So that breaking through that has to do with a lot of trying to create goodwill between you and a Jehovah's Witness person where they realize like, I'm not here to attack you, right? I'm trying to share what I think is good and wonderful truth with you. And a lot of reaching them, how to approach them is going to be like getting them to question the governing body because so much of what they believe is depending on just trusting those guys. So I would recommend a few things. Use JW sources. What I've held up earlier, this is a kingdom interlinear. I know a little bit of Greek. And so I'm able to actually use this. It has the Greek alongside with their translation. And I can show in their own works where they've mistranslated the Bible. And then I can pull up to the front and I can say, and I've done this before. I, you know, I, I share this with, a, with Jehovah's Witnesses. They go, well, that's not, that's not Watchtower literature. So they were going to ignore everything I said. And I said, oh no, but it is. Look, this is Watchtower. It's published by you guys. And now he was like, oh, you see this, this, the suspect attitude towards everyone other than the watchtower 
means that you, even if it looks like this proves Jehovah's Witness teaching wrong, we can ignore it because it's not from our own sources. So I say use their own sources whenever possible. If you want to prove the deity of Jesus, prove it from their New World Translation. There are still passages that do that. If you want to talk about weird beliefs or problems, go to go to Watchtower Literature. And now it's easier than ever. They actually have a a, a phone app. I got my phone over here somewhere. Uh, that it's it's JW um, Library. That's the name of the app, and you can access the interlinear for free. This thing used to be hard to get. I had to like hunt for it, you know? So yeah, um, I'd also recommend you guys stick to one issue, study it well, be ready, and do not let them change the subject when you start nailing them down on a problem with the theology. Don't just say, hey, can we come back to that later? I, I want to finish this talk first. And for this, I have hours and hours of free content on my, on my YouTube channel. Like I'm not trying to get anything out of you. I've spent a lot of time prepping this. I have a whole video on how to reach Jehovah's Witnesses with strategies and stuff. But number one is going to be like, like what you said, Alan, show them love. They're used to being mistreated. They're suspicious of outsiders. You got to break through that with not fake love, right? Genuine compassion and care for them as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Alan? You got anything to add or, or take well, away maybe? <laughs> no. First of all, thank you for that thorough reply, guys. And um, also, I'm going to ask Mike to send me some links uh, or I'll try to uh, snag them uh, from his YouTube channel. Um, you know, just yeah. the work that he's done. Because like I said, we're not going to be able to cover everything here. But if you're really serious about really trying to reach these six groups. And that was the second group that we talked about. If you're just coming in, we already talked about the Mormon, uh, well, the Mormon church, which uh, the latter church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And now uh, Mike gave us a good thorough um, uh, explanation on Jehovah's Witnesses. But if you're really wanting to go deeper, then both of us have some resources. I'm going to try to link all the videos that we have to both of our channels below um, in the description. Uh, but also Mike, uh, if you want to quickly comment on this one, and I actually have a video on my channel about this specific topic, but what are your thoughts on their idea that only 144,000 people are going to go to heaven? Yeah. So this is really, really involved, but I'll give the yeah. super short summary, right? Originally they teach in revelation, the 144,000, these are like the only saved people period. But as their numbers grew, you know, they're going to go to heaven. They're like, well, we got more than 144,000. So we got to explain We're what happens to the rest of our followers. <laughs> so then they said, okay, the 144,000, they're the ones that go to heaven and the rest of us live on paradise earth. So they separate our eternal future destinies into two locations. One is heaven and you're kind of without a body. You're bodiless in heaven. And the, the rest of them, most of the Jehovah's Witnesses think they'll live on paradise earth. And now they're told like, you don't want to be one of the 144. You get no body. You want to live on paradise earth. Now in Revelation, the 144,000 are just 144,000 Jewish people, right? That are, they're not the only people saved. They're not the only ones who experience heaven or something. And then heaven, when it does come, it comes to earth, right? The new heavens and new earth meet. There isn't paradise earth and then heaven, a different location. Like heaven and earth meet, man. Jerusalem comes down, man. That's the whole consummation of glorious relationship with God and each other. So yeah, those are the, um, I guess that's the short version. Yeah.